Welcome to episode 172 of Consider This. Uh, this is Steve Broadway. Normally, I'm the guy behind the computer enjoying the antics of the men on this, men and women on these microphones. Uh, but today, I get to have a conversation with Ryan Vincent, who preached a phenomenal message about the Ten Commandments from Exodus 22 last Sunday. So today, it's a deeper dive into Exodus chapter 22. So we hope not only that you enjoy it, but this inspires you to want to follow Jesus more faithfully. Ryan Vinny Vincent. I would like to call you Vinny. Okay. With great affection. Uh, man, Sunday, I loved, loved, loved the message, and I appreciated all of your preparation. And I know everybody I've talked to did. Um, it shed a light on the Ten Commandments that I've not heard so clearly before, and it really helped me in my understanding. And it was, you know, it's based on an interpretive principle that we all embrace, which is historical setting, you know, original mm -hmm. context, authors into meaning, those things. And so you putting in the, in the context of the world at that time just it just made me see it in a way I never had really, really appreciated it. So, so thank you for that. I'm glad. I have a, as you should be, I have a question for you that will require transparency. <laughs> and I want you to bear in mind that this is an international listening audience. Listen, okay. you guys, you listeners, we, uh, I haven't looked in a while, but we have people listening from Russia to Japan, mm -hmm. Poland, Mexico, all around the United States. Uh, we are internationally not very famous and well known, but there are there are places where people... there are places where we have supportive missionaries that listen yeah, yeah, to so us. That, yeah. and okay, Russia. let's be honest. And Russia. And Russia. So we don't know what's going on there. Uh, it seemed like the Czech Republic one time, but I don't know. That anyway. was probably just McKinsey on vacation. <laughs> That's probably it. Somebody from Pro M went to the Czech Republic and yeah, spent an evening listening to a podcast. So uh, so bearing in mind that you are you're speaking to a worldwide audience, uh, recount for us a time when there was a, a boundary, a barrier, a law, let's say, mm -hmm. set before you by some authority in your life, <laughs> and you walk up to the fence like you talked about and go, yeah, I don't think so. And you just slip out the gate and go on the other side, or maybe you just cut a hole in the fence and just walk right through. Yeah. So you can characterize it however you want. Uh, t tell us about that and, and the consequences, if any, short-term or long-term. Yeah, it, I mean, it would, be, it would be a season for me. Um, uh, it, for those of you who, who don't know my personal story, so today at the time of this recording, I am 38 years old and have been following Jesus since I was 20. Um, prior to age 20, I did not follow Jesus or much of anyone outside of my own uh, whims and, and wishes. So, you know, in high school, I was, uh, I was just... A very difficult child for my parents. Rebel, rebel without a cause. Rebel mm -hmm. without a cause. Yeah. And so growing up in kind of a small town, you you find ways to entertain yourselves, and, and many of those ways are, are, are illicit in nature. So in my case, um, drugs and alcohol and all the things that kind of get associated with that. And, and obviously I have parents that don't want me doing those things. They were aware of it uh, to certain degrees at times and probably more so. And, and I was just, I was brazen. I was, I was not someone who, um, I almost flaunted it in some sense. So, you know, my parents would find paraphernalia in my car and then they would, you know, I would come home smelling like I'd been drinking something and, you know, I would get in trouble and I would pay a lot of immediate consequences for that, lose a lot of privileges. I joke that 
Um, from age 16 until I went to college, my dad had the keys to my car more than I did <laughs> because that was his, that was his way of, of shutting me down was mm -hmm. to take away my mobility. So I, I often was, was under some degree of punishment and I was just, I mean, I, it was nothing for me. I, I, I felt very little guilt sneaking out and coming back in at four in the morning. I mean, I was, I was someone who, who, uh, my, my parents, uh, the pigment in their hair fled quickly during Ryan Vincent's high school years. My sister, um, she, she was far from perfect, but she was far more interested in pleasing them. And so where she would rebel contra my version of it, she was very conscientious of making sure that she at least looked like she wasn't and uh, that mom and dad were still happy with her. And that was a season in my life where I could not have possibly cared less what anyone thought about me. So I just kind of did whatever I want. I was very brazen. In terms of the consequences, I mentioned some some short-term, immediate ones. I would lose a lot of the privileges that a teenage boy likes to have. Yeah. But long-term, like imagine coming to faith at age 20, and then your parents don't really know what to do with that because they've just spent the last six, seven years not trusting you. And so even like the transformation I experienced through Jesus and his gospel, it took a long time for those who had known me mm -hmm. as, a, mm -hmm. as a teenager to like – to warm it. up to that, to yeah. accept it, to even believe that it was real. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there were there were some long term dividends that I had to sort through uh, as a consequence of, you know, what some people might just classify as, you know, youthfulness. But it, I mean, it was just brazen rebellion, quite you frankly. Know, I. I I recall the scripture that said faith without works is dead, right? And we're created in good, for good works in Christ. I've never thought about it as a way of redeeming relationships mm. that you've broken when you come to faith. Yeah. And uh, it absolutely can, can do that because you demonstrate your faith by the way you live. And I, I, I had a, I didn't, I wasn't as much of a wrecking ball as you, but I definitely had, uh, you know, a self-centered way of living until I came to Christ and, and my family saw that saw the contrast and, yeah. and it was kind of astounding uh, yeah yeah and in my in the case of my family again it it, it cost me long-term trust that it took a while to restore yeah. Yeah. but if there is an upside and then this is where i say when you hear upsides in in the end of tragic stories <laughs> or i guess in this case it's a comedy it ends well but um that, this is not me prescribing the tragedy that leads to the upside but the contrast between 21 22 year old ryan and 17, 18 year old Ryan actually led members of my family to reconsider their own faith because yep. they saw like the power of the transformation that I experienced. I, exactly the same in my case. I saw my parents come back to the church, I think largely because they saw what happened to me. Yep. Uh, so man, what a blessing, what a blessing that is. All right, well, let's, let's begin the, uh, let's get on the diving board and bounce on it and dive in. Uh, so when you think about the law, uh, you know, I associate that with Judaism. Mm -hmm. and of course, they have the 631 that you cited. Tons and tons and tons of laws. And you can find uh, critiques of Jewish law going back to Paul's writing in the New Testament. Yeah. Uh, and even within Judaism, they bicker about things. And certainly um, uh, there's a, there are, has been a vein of, of Protestantism for 2,000 years that has sort of looked askance at, at the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we would go as far as to even, well, I don't know if that's right. Uh, so, the, so the question is this, why does it get such a darn bad rap? Like, why do people yeah. take such a dim view of the law? Because that's not what you were talking about yeah. on well, Sunday morning. I think a, a big part of it is um, is a 
a misconstrued interpretation of what Paul is so upset about in the New Testament. Uh, first of all, you know, we immediately go to books like Galatians and mm-hmm. Romans, which say the law, it, it, it is this heavy thing that condemns, and then in yep. the Spirit there's life. And it brought death, you know, and yes. then the Spirit came and gave him life and all that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and Paul's the, you know, he's the, 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 the apostle to the Gentiles. So he, you know, in Acts chapter 13, he and Barnabas go through their first missionary journey through Cyprus and then uh, Asia Minor. And... They see the spirit working outside of those who have placed themselves under the, the covenant of, right. of the, the law at Sinai, yeah. right? They, so they see the gospel. They see the Holy Spirit working through the Gentiles. And they go back and they have to hash this out in the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. And, and I think we take that and then we take some of Paul's remarks and then we just we, we get a little overly reductive and we say, okay, the math adds up to law bad, grace good. Law bad, gospel good. And I don't think, you know, first of all, Paul is not going to contradict Jesus. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, from which I read on Sunday, seems to have, hold the, high, the law in extremely high regard. Well, don't just murder. Listen, don't, be, don't hate your brother. Don't even yes. think about murder. Don't do that. I mean, yeah. even um, last night I was teaching a class, and it was tangentially related to this, to this subject matter, but the... the or to, to this sermon, but the subject last night was what, how does Paul define faith? And, and leading up to that, and in my introduction, we read the story of Jesus's encounter with the rich young ruler. And mm-hmm. he says, good teacher, what do I, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus doesn't tell him to have faith. Jesus tells him, well, you should, you should do the law. And he goes, well, I've, I've kept the law. And he, he rattles off about four or five of the 10 commandments. He says, I've done this, I've done this, I've done, this, I've done all these things since I was a youth. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, well, you should have faith. He says, oh, no, that's good. You, you need to do now, one more thing. Now, I'll sell everything yeah. you have and follow me. It's like he, he, he says, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, do these things, actions. And then he says, I've done these actions, par excellence. And Jesus agrees with him. And, he, and what does he do? He says, You're, you need to do one more action. And it's, it's one action too much for the guy, and he walks yep. away. And so Jesus sets this paradigm that doesn't allow us to, to just connect eternal life to cognitive ascent and to faith and to belief, but there's something, um, there's something more about that. Paul does very much the same thing, but whenever we read Galatians and Romans, he seems to have an overly negative view of the law, and, and that might appear to contradict Jesus. Instead, I think what he's chastising when he says works of the law and when he says, um, when he says, uh, when he talks about them trying to, to, to work out their faith in, in terms of this, this Jewish uh, calendar system and dietary laws, what Paul is actually condemning is not life under the law, which he would still say Jesus supersedes the law. So mm-hmm. you got to track with that a little bit. But the law, the, the works of the law that he's condemning is Jewish syncretism, Jewish Christian syncretism. And he's, in fact, I think Paul would say to, to your run-of-the-mill Jewish person, like, why, why, why wouldn't you go to synagogue? Why aren't they? You even see him go to synagogue himself to preach the gospel. And he's just saying, but why are we trying to make Gentiles Jews at this yeah, the point? The dietary laws, yes. circumcision, some, some of that stuff. So um, we take those principles, and I think that we just get overly reductive, and we look for this concept that says, oh, so it's grace versus law. And, and then I'll, I'll concede I'm not under the law of Sinai in terms of ceremony and calendar and dietary laws. But that doesn't mean that grace runs 
contrary to God's instruction and to God's expectation and to the obligations we have to obey. And that's the step that I think a lot of people make. That's the step that I think a a misconstrued reading of Martin Luther gets because he, he installs this uh, law versus gospel paradigm. And I, and I think it should be gospel and instruction paradigm if we were to just take Paul's pattern. Well, the, the fence around the playground is a beautiful illustration of of boundaries creating a safety within which there's actually more freedom to move mm-hmm. and live. And wow, when you think of it that way, it it's a beautiful thing for the Christian life. You know, it raises a question in my mind, and I don't know if there's an answer to this. I, I think what you describe could be true in any culture at any time. It's a theological question, but it makes me wonder because we live in this iconoclastic I can do it myself, yeah. throw off restraint culture, you know, founded on independence. Yeah. Uh, the, the milieu that we live in makes it makes us even more inclined yeah. to take a dim view of you're not going to put this stuff on me. Yeah. And, as the, a and our rugged individualism is definitely yeah. an obstacle to um, to a, a, a full embracing of the dying to oneself and living into the 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 order of God's kingdom now, and and I I, I just find it interesting. I, I imagine if we were to ask Paul, he would say, "I don't really care if you're Jew or Gentile. Like we're to we're to all find ourselves in Christ." He 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 always calls us to this collective. Mm-hmm. And then you know I didn't go through this on Sunday, but if I. Now, if I had taken yet another hour, <laughs> it was it a was, long well, message. But you know what? Uh, an aside, it went long, but I heard multiple times it didn't feel like it went long. I'm glad. So way to go, man. Well, Justin Ebert is preaching this coming Sunday, and so he was coming back from Ghana, and he said he landed in Paris and downloaded the sermon so he could listen yeah. and just kind of know where we were so he can kind of plan accordingly for his message. He says, so we get on the plane from Paris to to the U.S., and I start listening to your sermon, and by the time it's over, we're over dry ground again. <laughs> That's <laughs> but, only nine hours. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, if you were to go listen to, go read Paul in, say, the Corinthian letters, or even the latter half of Ephesians, which we didn't get to, mm-hmm. he just he he really set, he, he positions all of us as a collective underneath the head. We're the body. Jesus is the head, and what steers the body? The head. And so I just think that Paul, even with his advocacy for the freedom we experience in the gospel, he still positions us in a in a posture of submission to the king. Well, that just really sounds like God speaking to his people at Sinai. Well, and when you know, when you think about just the basic Ten Commandments, right? Don't don't murder, don't kill anybody. Okay, yeah. well that doesn't seem too hard. Yeah. Uh, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Uh, don't sleep with your neighbor's wife. These things like protect the community from just chaos. Mm-hmm. And so it is a community. It only makes sense in the context of community. Yeah. Without community, the laws make no sense. If you're living on a on a desert island by yourself, there's no one to murder. There's nothing to cut. Right. There's no, you know, none of that stuff applies. It it only makes sense when we are, when we're living to doing life together and living in community yeah. together. Okay. Second question. Um, I don't know that we do this a lot, but do you have a concern or would you worry that that focusing on our, our preaching and teaching about commands and obedience and our responsibilities, which is 
clearly articulated in the New Testament, that it would lead to some, you know, Sunnybook being branded as a, a works-based church because churches have reputations based on a caricature yeah. often of what they teach. Yeah, it, and if, if it does, it is based on a caricature. I've heard it. I've heard it said before. Really? Oh, Sunnybrook is, is the... Uh, salvation by works church or it is wow. a salvation via baptism church i've heard both yeah of those yeah i could see that one maybe a little more easily i've never heard it from someone who's like part of the life of this community mm-hmm. this this particular church um but i've heard it from you know two or three rings out and i mean i don't know how much we even need to chase like what do you do about caricatures recognize that they exist and move on, I guess. I well, don't think, know. think about our vision, right? Yeah. We want to be a church that inspires people to live sacrificially. Yes. For the cause of Christ. And that's a do, that's a work, that's kind of a work at thing, right? It is. Well, and, you know, I, I, again, in the class that I taught last night, kind of reframing faith as something that is not belief, it's not intellectual agreement, it's, it is completely embodied loyalty. Mm-hmm. It's fidelity. It's faithfulness, probably more yeah, so than yeah. how we use the word faith. And there were several points where I just felt this, the need to pause and give the caveat. I am not saying that by any of these things, one can earn their favor with God. Right. And so we even had this list in our handouts last night on the five things that faith is not. Faith is not a blind, it's not a leap in the dark. Faith is not just a positive attitude. <laughs> and, and one thing that, and, and faith is not. You mean it's not about having your best day ever? No, no, Dang. it's not a, just, it's not that I'm at so all. I'm so disappointed right now. It is, um, what were some of the other things? It is, it is not intellectual agreement, which mm-hmm. we already mentioned. But the yep. one that, um, that I think really applies here is that it's not the opposite of works. And I think we uh. often talk about faith as the opposite of works. And, and we spend, we, we, we'll talk about evangelism, you know, a, a strategy that employs this concept of, hey, you're a sinner. Stop trying to earn your favor with God and, and, and instead rely on the, the cross of Christ. And I confess to the class, I've never met that person. Like, I, I just don't know people who are, who really truly believe they can earn God's favor. I know plenty of people that struggle with believing in God's forgiveness of their mm-hmm. sins. I know mm-hmm. plenty of people who struggle with believing that God could have any sort of offense against them. But I don't, I don't know anyone who truly feels as though they're depraved and by their righteous works can gain God's favor. I've never met that person. I think that is a boogeyman that that's a different religion. I think the Protestants (laughs) chase it though, as if it's like this, this huge problem in the pews, you know, Oh, I'm terrible. I'm terrible. You know what? I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and be the most righteous person in the world. And then I don't, I, I, God will owe me. And, and then we were like, no, that's not how it works. You got to depend on Jesus. And I just, I haven't met that person. So we've created this false dichotomy of, of faith versus works or grace versus works. And again, I know that Paul sounds like he's talking about that, but again, his, his aim is is Christian Jewish syncretism. That's what he's going after. Mm-hmm, it's not mm-hmm, what we often consider works-based righteousness. So instead, I hope that um, in, 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 over and against the stereotypes or the um, the rumors that others might have that we, we might be a works-based church at times, I would hope that they, they fall in line with our vision, like you said, that we... We are people that take faith 
and the gospel and following Jesus so seriously that we decide to even do it at work and at home. And the operative word in the vision is to inspire, yes. not to demand or instruct or, you know, it's, hey, we want to inspire by what we teach and by the way we live yeah. as much as anything. And that has others nothing to do, to do with uh, like a self-importance or we didn't come up with that strategy. That's actually in First Peter, a text that I read on Sunday, so that people will see your good works yes. and glorify the Father. And, you know, I, I, I hear you when you say, I've never met that person, but I, I do think many of us have an internal struggle with feeling inadequate. Oh yeah. And thinking somehow God's going to be more pleased with me if I stop messing up. Oh, for sure. Right. For so, sure. So there is that struggle, but it's, and it's not exactly the same thing, but I would say that probably exists far more than somebody I, I who's just unabashedly right. declaring, yes, yeah. I'm going to earn my salvation by doing all these good works yeah. within a Christian context. No, that's true. Um, yeah. All right, so, so one more question to deal with. Uh, we talk about the mission of the church. We talk about Jesus commissioning, you know, the disciples as before his ascension, and all, and that's from the thing from which the mission, I think, is derived. Uh, and then you did talk a bit about well, you did a great job of transitioning to the gospel, the New Testament gospel from from our examination of the law. Man, I love that. <laughs> it was so good. Uh, so how would you connect uh, what you preached about the law with that mission that exists? Yeah. How does, how does one fold into the other and, and those things kind of dovetail? Yeah, well, you know, again, we, were, we ran long on I, I had so I left a lot of, uh, a lot of in, uh, pertinent passages on the cutting room floor. And, and I took more notes than I've ever <laughs> taken in a sermon. I had a whole page. I, I, I even, you know, I, the way that I, I write my sermons is I, I kind of establish you know, the, the trajectory of it. And then I just start to pull texts and, and mine them and put them together and see how they connect. And, and so I'll always end up with far more than I can use. And yeah. in some cases I don't cut enough, but, uh, so there, <laughs> there, there were a number of, a number of, of texts that I thought, man, if I, if this were instead like a two hour seminar, we would yeah. definitely go here. Yeah. And one of those passages would of course have been the great commission mm -hmm. where Jesus and the end of Matthew's gospel is commissioning his disciples. And the, it says that, he, he, he's, all of this is mine and I am sending you out and here's what you're going to do. You're going to teach people to obey. And when we want to disparage the law, when we want to talk about this, this obligationless grace or faith or gospel. It just like it, it, it abuses texts like the great mm -hmm. commission yeah. where yeah. Jesus says like your, like your, the process of discipleship is going to be baptizing people into my name and making them citizens of my kingdom and then teach them to do what I say. And, and Jesus equates love for him with obedience to him. Absolutely. That is loving him. And, and I'm so glad he does that because there have been times where I have had to explain that to my kids that when they disobey me, it feels very hateful. Mm. <laughs> I said, uh, you know, I just, and I just, I talk about this, this is not like a manipulation thing. It's that it, when you are underneath someone else's authority, Jesus says the greatest way to to love and respect the person who is in a position of authority and caregiving over mm -hmm. you, as Jesus is the head over the body, I tell my kids, the best way you can love your father and your mother is to obey them. And not blindly, and, and I don't always need you to have the best attitude, but obedience is shockingly closely tied to love in the biblical sense, which can often be news to our contemporary ears. So. 
Any other straggling thoughts or things you want to say before we bring this thing, this plane down and land it? I really, I, I meant it at, at, towards the end. I think I said this in both services, depending on which one you're in. I really mean it when I say, like, study the word of God and ask, what is what, what, what can I do? Not just what should I think about God, not just how should I feel about myself, but what what do I do in response to this? And then I, I, I can't, I can't underline enough the value of having other brothers and sisters to help you do that, um, to serve as something of guardrails for you mm-hmm. and to be, you know, cheerleaders that encourage you along and to be sounding boards that, uh, that you can bounce questions off of. And so even back to your earlier comment about the value of doing this in community mm-hmm. over and against an individualistic mindset, the, the, the person, the, I, I don't think that I'm a slouch when it comes to studying the Bible, but the, the person I trust the least studying the Bible is Ryan Vincent by himself. Mm-hmm. I want to do it with other people and I, and I, and I like their help. And then I like the built in accountability of when we've noticed something, when we've drawn some sort of insight or the spirit has given us some sort of illumination. Well, now Steve Broadway and Ryan Vincent have like a shared responsibility to live that out and a built in accountability and encouragement. And, and it's like, Holy cow, the church starts doing what the church is supposed to do. And that's what it looks like to teach them to obey. Right. I shudder to think who I would be without the church. <laughs> exactly. It ain't pretty. Exactly. Me too. It ain't pretty. Well, brother, it's a privilege to uh, have this conversation, to sit under your teaching. Uh, I love the teaching of Sunnybrook Christian Church. I'm just going to say it out loud right here. <laughs> I have so appreciated that in my time here at the church. I'm very grateful for it. I uh, Again, we hope that this, these conversations uh, are insightful for you and stimulate you to want to study and learn and grow uh, and to follow Jesus ever more closely. And if ever you have a question, you want a further conversation, I mean, please reach out to uh, any, any of the teaching pastors. Uh, you can email me at steve at sunnybrookcc.org. I'm not the Bible answer man, but I can definitely get you in touch with, uh, with the right person uh, to, you know, to, to have a conversation or answer a question for you. God bless you as you go.